HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Marvina Robinson. We'll talk to Marvina about beef Stuyvesant, champagne, and a lot more. We'll taste some of Marvina's bubbles for our weekly wine sip and maybe during the show. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Bedford Stuy's own Marvina Robinson left the neighborhood to attend Norfolk State University and HBCU. Her love of the bubbly started when she'd come home between semesters, pop some champagne with her friends to catch up and celebrate. Marvina continued on to Columbia University, receiving her master's, working in finance and risk management. Her love for champagne was strong enough to take some risk. She traveled to France, packed in her career, and started B. Stuyvesant Champagne in Brooklyn. She is one of the few women of color champagne owners in the world. Marvina Robinson makes over a half dozen cuvées, including a rosé and a cuvée reserve. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Marvina. Thank you for having me. We are talking to Marvina face-to-face at the Heritage Radio Studios at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Brooklyn is in the house today. As always. Marvina shot over from Bedford Stuy. So it's nice to uh, sit in person with you. All right. So let's get started here. Let's let's lay a little foundation. Let's rock and, and roll. Roll and, and rock. Let's uh, give people some intel on where you came from and what you're about. 
So I'm curious with you and the business and, you know, everything I know about you, what was that first interaction and connection with champagne and, you know, why did it stick, you know, and, and did that influence what you're doing today? I mean, is it that or no? I don't know. That's a really good question. I just think that when I was younger, at a legal age, I want to emphasize at a legal age, uh, me and my friends would sip champagne. That was it. We liked it. It's what, they, what we saw in videos. It was cool. You know, I, I as I got older, a little bit mature, I said, okay, this should be my drink of choice. So of all the things to drink, beer, booze, you guys had this affinity for champagne. Oh, we were a, a group of upscale ladies, you know? Okay. <laughs> upscale and classy. That's right. We didn't do beer. We minimized liquor. We liked to have our glasses. I love that. So that's, that, that's the answer to the, you know, connection. That's... That's really your first, you know, interaction. All right. So now I need you to take me through your journey in life and wine. That got you to your business, B. Stuyvesant. But let me set you up a little. Talk about the point that you packed in a pretty impressive education background and about a two-decade career in finance to create your brand. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into the details later. And how cold. It's not like, you know, you left and started. So, um tell me about you know the beginnings and getting here. I would say one it was not a traditional route and it wasn't an intentional route. So I would say my journey started out um naturally as I graduated First, I want to say I went to the best high school in Brooklyn, boys and girls. So that's we left where that the, out. We left that. That's the first where it all kicked off. At. So I'm a kangaroo, class of 95. Um, it, from there, you know, I, I started my post-educational where I studied at Norfolk State University. I had a Bachelor of Science in Biology, nowhere near uh, wine. <laughs> I left, uh, graduated from college. I ended up uh, in finance, just consulting because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So... I got introduced to the finance world and I said, oh, I like this. Worked there for a couple of years and then I realized I wanted to be competitive in the industry. So I left uh, work full-time. I um, studied at Columbia University full-time, got my master's in arts and statistics, but I just didn't stay there for- Why, why that? I mean, did oh, that because, fit into what you wanted to do? Um, at the time, yes. Yeah. So I wanted to build models, trading models for trading ah. tasks. So I wanted my resume to stand out versus going traditional routes of MBA. I wanted to show my technical component in uh, my mindset. And I, I did like math, so I chose statistics. And I just didn't stay there just for the minimum requirements. I actually stayed a little bit longer, took classes in different schools just to get like a broader knowledge. From there, I got recruited um, to work at a major investment bank. Credit Suisse was actually one of my first banks that hired me straight out of grad school. I worked there for a couple of years, moved around a little bit, went from trading. I did a little bit of risk management, went back to commodities. Commodities, one of my favorite um, products I like to work with. When I first graduated from undergrad, I actually worked at Amaretta Hess, HECO, um, in D-Trading. Um, and then from there, I was back in finance. And champagne was a hobby at first. I used to send my clients gifts, send my coworkers gifts champagne, include the note of what type of champagne it is. Um, so more, as a beverage, that was your beverage of that choice. That was my beverage of choice, you know. From back to with the girls to yeah, working it, through finance, it was always a thing to you. Yeah, champagne. so my thing, so I did go through a phase of my sex in the city phase where I had to have my Cosmos. 
But liquor was a little bit too rough for me. You know, you pack those things on, you like in la-la land, they hit you the next day. But I always think like wine or wine spritzers was really like sophisticated. And I was a little bit young in my career. So I was really trying to fit in what, what should be my look when I go out for networking with clients or with my coworkers or holiday parties. And, you know, there's a lot of booze flying around. So I just had to find my niche. And I tried wine, still wine's cool, but champagne, you can never go wrong with champagne. And that's like, everybody's always happy with champagne. That's, uh, you know, I'm a big champagne fan. I mean, as curious as I am about the story, I love the fact that, you know, your concentration is on um, champagne. All right, so sounds like a fairly prolific career in finance. I mean, great companies. You jumped around in skills and strengths because you were interested and inquisitive. Yeah, so like my finance career, it was it was a great career. You know, I kind of stumbled upon industry just like how I stumbled upon wine, and I just found my my niche. What interested me? What interested me at the time is kind of where I float around. That's the good thing about finance because. It's such a broad industry. You can kind of work on different things. And that's where I found myself. Like, though working on a desk was very great, I kind of got into, like, the risk management of the side. And I got wanted to go back to the desk. So I just found skill sets that worked with me, what I knew. And as I grew in my career, I just moved to where I thought would be best fit. Not a jumping around, but taking long right. depths time to figure right. out. So at some point, I don't know how close it was to when you left. Mm -hmm. At some point, you're saying to yourself or you see something or something gets in your head and you say, all right, I've been doing this. I'm good. I like it. But I got this idea. It's a business. Maybe I should be on my own. Maybe it's champagne. How does that ramp up? That's not how it went. (laughs) Well, that's... So my interpretation was a bad one. It was a so bad give one. Me but the, give but me I, the loved real. How, I loved how you put the little empathetic voice in it. Give me, so give me. So tell me. So I would say, and this is just my story. I can only share what I became unhappy in finance. And it wasn't nothing wrong with my firms. It was more about myself. I wanted to do something other. So here's the backstory that you might not have known about me is I've owned two businesses before I actually officially launched B. Stuyvesant. I just was scared to take the leap of faith of being an entrepreneur 100%. I didn't put my time into it. So I used to own a cafe. Excuse me. No, first I owned an indoor cycling studio because (laughs) I love to spend. I still love to spend. So I'm like, oh, if I build my own, I don't have to pay as much. And I was an an instructor as well. I went and got certified. That was one of my first businesses. And then I also owned a cafe on Myrtle Avenue. So we call 724 Coffee Bar and Cafe. Again. What years are we talking here? Oh, my gosh. Uh, maybe 2000. I started in 2013. And this is while you're working? This is while I was working You're doing full-time. these kind of business gigs and you're working yes. full-time. Okay. So the, the business was, it didn't have 100% of my attention, though I tried. Like, I would go in the mornings. I would go to, you know, Jetro's, all this other stuff. But I wasn't fully dedicated to it. It piqued me, but I was like, you know, I had a career path. Like, I had this thing embedded in my head. This is not what I went to school for, blah, 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 blah. But I just said, you know what? It is what it is. So I started looking into champagne because I was gifting gifting people with champagne. Um, it became a hobby. So I started doing a deeper dive, reading about it. And I was like, well, if I'm reading and learning about it, I need to go to champagne. So I started going to France, and I started, like, um, visiting different areas of Champagne, 
trying different champagnes at the actual vineyards, just learning to immerse myself in the culture because I wanted to be, you know, make sure I know what I'm talking about versus just a reading knowledge. Testing my reading knowledge with actual vineyard owners to make sure they still match. And then, you know, naturally, when you work with a product hand in hand, they're going to give you something that you're not going to get out of a book. Right. So that's where I started from. And, so it was um, more about education and being yeah. on the ground and seeing and feeling it. And applying it. And then I realized, like, there's so many, not to sound like a AA person, but I love drinking champagne. And I wanted to, <laughs> <laughs> I researched and I said, you know what? As I got more in depth with it, and I said, you know what? There's so many beautiful grower champagnes or vintages I would love to you know, introduce consumers to here in New York, here specifically in Brooklyn, because that's where I'm born and raised from, I decided that I was going to open up a champagne bar. And I didn't want anything large or elaborate. I just wanted a nice little cozy spot that have these beautiful bottles that people could come in and taste by the glass if they want to order by the bottle. Because when you go to a lot of restaurants, champagne is not always an option by the glass. No, now more than ever, but maybe not then. Definitely not then. Champagne's hot now. Yeah, it's hot, but it's also- As far as the length of the list and the BTG options. Yeah, and it's expensive by the glass. Yeah, You're going to start spending between $21 and $35, $40 a glass. mm -hmm. I was out a couple of weeks ago, and I spent $40 for a glass. Jesus. Um, And I had to make sure, hey, can you fill this up a little bit more? Because, you know, when you tilt it, you know, blah, 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 Uh, the bubbles reduce. So, you know, I get technical with it. Um. And that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to have this little venue space where they can um, come in and say, hey, I want to try this by the glass. And maybe somebody, I could have introduced one person to champagne and they would say, well, maybe I'll come back every week to try a different glass of champagne and keep the actual um, menu rotating so there's always something new. Or even for some of the bigger houses, excuse me, um, introduce some of their vintages. Sure. Um, So a couple things. So the idea of this champagne bar, mm-hmm. which, you know, you laid out a vision, preceded the idea of developing a brand? So B. Stuyvesant was going to be the house brand of the bar. So it kind of coincided? Uh, B. Stuyvesant wasn't really meant to be retail at all. It was only supposed to be... Like a house brand. Yep, that's it. You know, like when you okay. go to any bar, they have the house vodka, gin, whatever. So that's really what B. Stuyvesant was. It really... What originally intentionally meant to be sold in shore, right. sold online. I get it now. Did you, did any place give you inspiration, you know, as a champagne bar in your travels in New York City and Brooklyn? Like, hey, they do it well, you know, let me kind of steal a few good ideas from, or you had your own vision. I didn't really visit <clears throat> many champagne bars because there's not a lot of champagne no. bars. There's wine bars, and then you have some that have a couple of champagne options. But again, when they go to the bar, I mean, to the champagne um, selection, there's usually one or two glasses by the glass. I think, like, I, I visited this place back in the day, Flute. It's a yes. champagne. Um, Up in the West 50s. Yes. The first also, one. And there used to be one in the flat iron. I think yes, one of them The first closed. one was West 50s, but that, yeah. And I visited that when I was younger. I don't remember all the details about it, but back then I wasn't especially sold on champagne. But I remember them having an extensive menu. I don't remember if they offered by the glass. And what I wanted to do is 80% of the bottles we have to have an option by the glass. Right. Um, Which gives you that runway to introduce people. Mm -hmm. So we're up to a point where we see how everything's developing. I'm getting a feeling that the time we're running into is around COVID. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> so I'm assuming, and you have to walk me through, COVID had a major effect on how things played out, what you're doing today, you know, all of that. So, boom, you have these ideas. Boom, COVID hits. You know, what's the sidetrack? Where are you, where are you at now? What did it do? So pre-boom, let's go back one boom. I ended, I was already developing, excuse me, B. Stuyvesant, um, our first two cuvées, which was only our Grand Reserve and our Rosé, already I was already like some time in. I, do we have a Grand Reserve here? We don't have a Grand Reserve. Okay, what we do we have? We have uh, B. Stuyvesant's Blanc de Blanc, 100% white grape What Chardonnay. are we drinking for the end of the show? We're going to drink our Premier Crew to end the show. All right, so show. open the other one. And I don't want to touch the mic and I move anything. No, I'm just don't playing. worry about it. <laughs> He gave me specific instructions. Don't worry. Don't worry. I said to you we should taste both of them. So I see you have a Coravin on. Um, do they work well with champagne? Yes. These are actually... I mean, nobody would know better than you how many Coravin bottles have you these done. These are one of the best champagne um, bubble preservers I've ever used. We use them in our tasting room. So if anyone doesn't know, Coravin is a device invented by a guy who... You use the device to preserve wine, and you stick a needle in the cork. It throws in argon gas, which displaces the oxygen, and your wine doesn't, you know, do that. With champagne, how does this one work? So this one actually works. You have to use their stoppers. Right. You put this on. You close this down like this. Sorry, I don't have. I'm not really good with visuals. And we have the actual. Oh, it's in my other bag, too far away. It's a stopper that goes on here. You have cartridges, and you. Suck it up, and it takes the air off the bottle to reserve. So, the are the cartridges, the argon, the same mm -hmm. as the wines? It's a little bit different. Okay. But yeah. Okay. So, um, there's not a lot of treatments for saving uh, champagne, and you're saying this works well. This works well for up to two weeks. So, I've I was going to ask you. So, two weeks is enough for yeah. tastings, you know, market trips, and all that. Or just invite me over, and we can sip the bubbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we sidetracked for a second because we always want to teach our listeners, you know, some options. Because um, people may think maybe I can't save a bottle of champagne, and if you're a big champagne drinker, this is a good idea. All right, so what were we talking about? We're talking about leading up to the pandemic. So, oh, right, I already had inventory coming in, and I think a year and a half, two years before I actually launched, we did our first tasting at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, where my um, where my headquarters is at now, at um, Hip Hop Closet, hosted us. The first tasting in, we ever did in the United States. And what I did is I invited a couple of industry folks out. Um, we set up different stations, blind stations. They didn't know what they were drinking. Had cards on there where they can write their feedback. So if everybody All felt, your stuff. All be Stuyvesant, okay. yes. So that they can see, um, they can be honest with it. And that's what really helped me focus on which two I was really going to push for developments because we had tastings by the bottles. So that's what uh, I worked with. And that's how we came to life. Um, so I ended up getting my first set of, of inventory and a couple of people asked me for it. And I was like, oh, no, this thing is going to blow over. This thing of the pandemic thinking was going to blow over. Didn't blow over. Wasn't comfortable signing a lease or anything for a, a space for the champagne bar. And then I actually ended up putting it in stores, and I said, well, if it don't sell, it just don't sell, and I'll just take it back. That's what my mindset was, and graciously, um, we had our first um, store um, that picked it up was Happy Cork in Brooklyn on Buffalo, and it actually did amazing. We had, like, a full news crew out. People were outside, lined up, 
This was not my expectations. Um, and it just took off from there. So I'm very happy. What year was that? 2020, February 12th, 2020. Oh, so right before the... Right before everything began to shut the down. hit the fan, yeah. In March, yeah. So I was very happy with the brand. And from there, we just started getting so much, you know, being recognized and, you know, recognized and questioned at the same time. You know, with come the good always comes with the bad. Right. Um, one of the interesting things I stumbled on is you built the business from the ground up and you self-funded it. Yes, I did. So what, I am that's, still- I mean, if you could do it, it's the greatest. I mean, did you mortgage everything or I mean, No, I just had a stash. <laughs> you did have a stash? I had a stash. And you said, I'm confident. I'm I, throwing it in there. I did not have a business plan. I did not have everything perfectly laid out. I just knew I figured it out along the way. And I think that's what one of my great strengths is as a person is I'm probably not the most traditional person where I have to jot everything down to like A to B to C to D. I'm really good at being hands-on and just figuring it out. And because it was my money that I said, if I lose it, what's going to happen? I'm just going to have to move back home with my mother, be me mentally drained for a little bit, you know, too grown to be moved back home. But I just believed in myself. And if I had to take a a, a bet on anything or anybody, it might as well just be me. And I always tell myself, if you know, I still have a great education I mean, a great education and a great career to fall back on. Right, right. I mean, perfectly set up to succeed, not fail. But if it's funny, here's my question. How much of a business plan did you start with or did you wing a good deal of it? I wing a you, good you, deal. You answered that. <laughs> um, you know, because being in finance, masters, somewhat meticulous, it's funny how you approach certain things. But there's no game plan, you know, for that in that sense. So to this day... No outside investors? No, to this day. Is there any craving like to blow up distribution or product if I bring somebody in? I said that um, I wanted to create the brand and then have it fully productive before I expand it out. And I think I've done a good job of it. I still have some tweaks to get out. You know, we're not a perfect business. Uh, We're a small business, small but efficient and mighty. there's things that happen at last minute where there's certain things I can't control. Like I still have to deal with import issues when sometimes things get stuck in customs. Those are like my delays. Those pull me away from day-to-day business. <clears throat> you know, staffing, you know, staffing is a major issue in any industry. Working with that, we opened up our new space last June. So space is built out 85%. So still another 15% to get right with it. <clears throat> Um, this is the space in the Navy Yard yeah, in Brooklyn. Yeah, this is the space you have to stop by. Yeah, I definitely want to. Um, it's funny how uh, the idea of a champagne bar really blossomed, you know, into a brand. Um, I want to get into the brand and I want to get into, um, you know, how you selected partners, you know, in France, style and all that. Mm-hmm. But I, I just want to talk to you about a couple of things. We discussed off air, and I'm going to bring it up again, that wine's not the most forgiving industry to women Mm -hmm. and people of color. Mm -hmm. Actually, it sucks, and it was heavily exposed more during COVID than ever before, how tough hospitality is Mm -hmm. and who it takes a toll on. Um, Do you mind if I take a sip of my bubbles? Yeah, we're going to take a sip and talk about it. Um, So... You know, any tough experiences? Was Were there experiences that were powerful enough that kind of stopped you to say, wait a second, you know, 
I mean, you don't seem like the type of person that's going to get pushed aside. No, that's definitely not my personality. Um, I mean, I had some comments that were made to me in the beginning. I've had, um, when I was deciding a venue to work with, one individual male was like, this is not your thing. You know, you're not French. You're, you're this. So this will never go anywhere. So you're just wasting your time. Was that veiled being a woman of color or just an outsider? And both. Was, it was both. It yeah. was everything. Um, like, do what you, do what's, what you're supposed to do, but this isn't, isn't it. I've had, when I first started to, you know, I was on a, um, like, on an online thing at, um, on a Zoom, like, during the pandemic, and somebody had inboxed me something, and I still have that screenshot. Um, and it wasn't a positive comment. Like it said something to the back of um good good idea, but it's not gonna go anywhere, you know. Just understand that you're a woman and you're this and you have to be able to do this and this and this. Also because of like you don't have this large amount of funding, you're not gonna go far. So I saved his screenshot and I shot him um I I was petty betty for a minute and I shot him back a, a really good article and I was like we didn't go too far but we made a st- cover the style shift in the New York Times so cheers <laughs> <laughs> right zing to you um you know Europe is no better I mean when you started figuring out you know partners and mm-hmm. all that same experiences worse same um, yes you know what I I've had some interesting experiences you know uh-huh. sometimes people don't take you seriously or Sometimes they want to attempt to dictate to you. Rule number one, don't ever try to dictate to me. That's like the worst thing you can ever do. Um, and I didn't have to find a partner that I felt good with to work with as far as like partnering with the vineyard. And that probably was one of the hardest things. But once I got going, I got going. Um, because you think about it, when you're partnering with a with the vineyard, it's going to be producing your, your label. This is your business. You want to make sure that even if you guys disagree, you still know how to resolve the disagreement. You know, right. right? That's a healthy relationship. Come back to it, right? I don't want to be where I have to go back and forth in wars and stuff like that. Really didn't work for me. And my vineyard, who actually is woman led, um, her and her brother lead it together, but she's the voice, the face. When we started communicating, started out as emails, you know, and I wasn't 100% focused or serious yet. I How would, do you find this person? Is it an intro? Do you, do you I, make I was a list? wandering around properties. You, you were literally um, on the ground. I was wandering on properties. Right. And I remember speaking to her, but I never like went into depth with her, but I remember having a conversation with her. And then I I didn't go back when I said I was going to go back. I think I was hanging out in, in Paris, so I didn't go back. And again, wasn't fully focused. How much time went by? Oh, before I reached out to her again, probably like four months. Oh, okay. And not, then, not forever, but... I sent her an email. She responded. Uh, and then I wouldn't respond for two weeks because I was working. And I remember I was like gunning for promotion. So I had cut the outside world out. Same question. I would go back to, I would ask her the same questions like three times. And she never got mad. She never was like sarcastic. She would just answer everything. And then I'm like, this lady is patient because I would have been told me like, let's per the email I sent on such and such date. So we were just going back and forth, and then I started, you know, focusing in, and I really enjoyed her conversation. So then we started talking on the phone. We started doing FaceTime, and we started doing Zoom, and we started getting better. Then the visit started, and I enjoyed working with her, and I still do, and the family's amazing. I visit the vineyard frequently, um, quarterly, sometimes more than one time in a quarter, 
And it's just like we 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 all mesh well together. So you found the right partner, same person to this day, right? Yes. So we'll get into where they are and what they're doing in a minute. Um, let me just finish up on a few uh, thoughts. So you work through the fact that people are dismissive. I mean, just nobody. It just shows you that people. Like the story you told about the guy that you sent him, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a snap or something. Is that a guy in the industry? He is in the industry. Um, I don't know. I mean, where's like the nurturing or the camaraderie? Or the I mean, and then there's that side. but there's, And I feel like I have more positivity from you. There's a, it's only like splotches of negativity. But you can also know when people are talking to you, what they think, or like, well, how did you get into this? Like, I had a woman in my in my actual tasting room where, one, she was so combative, like, to tell me, like, champagne can be made anywhere. I'm like, no, it can't be. And then her she friends, had no idea. No idea. And then when her friends explained it, she looked at me and was like, well, then how did you get into this? <laughs> and I'm just like, well, Next. thank you. <laughs> Next. Um... Do you feel you're making an impact and changing the champagne community a little, the wine community? Uh, I mean, I can answer that and say yes, little by little. But do you feel that? Um, I think we are our toughest critics. So I feel like I have a long way to go. I feel like I've introduced this brand to consumers as a black woman that's not French. Um, That's what I've done. Well, that's not a French accent? No, it's not a French accent. Okay. I have one, but it's really bad, so we won't be doing it. <laughs> right. So, you, you know, a woman of color introduces the brand. I just feel like my my um, my journey is unconventional. And sometimes I still have a hard time believing, like, I did do this. And I don't look at myself as a role model or anything. Though people, I get emails all the time. People look up to me. They have kind words to say, which I love. I just look at as a, as a person that had a dream and followed her dream. Well, that's the role mar- mm-hmm. model part. You know, the fact that you had the idea, you persisted. We talked a few minutes ago. I mean, you did have a business plan, but you didn't have a 10-page line by line. You knew what you wanted to do. Yes, you winged it a little. You know, so I mean, that's, listen, that's a good story for anybody. Do you feel that you're always going to be tested because you're a woman, you're a woman of color, you're in a European, you know, product, or you don't care and you've gone past that. I feel like I will always be tested, especially, excuse me, specifically because B. Cyrus is a smaller bespoke um, product brand. and brand, period. Because instantly, when I do tastings, I always get this for the person... Well, why should I buy this over X and X, over a larger house? But you can get that anywhere for anything. Yeah, that's what But they're busting you because it's you more. Right. Or they ask all these detailed questions to make sure I know what I know so I don't sound like I'm shooting beer. You're held to... Yeah. Now, the question is, do I care? The answer is no. Otherwise, you'll get yourself sick. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing to hear. So you manage that, um, which, you know, is a good thing. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. Um, but before we take a quick break, we have one of your champagnes in front of us. Yes. So I want you to take a minute and walk me through it, and then we're going to do a little sight taste evaluation. This is the B. Stuyvesant. Blanc de Blancs. Okay. So this is 100% white grape. It's aged 24 months. It's light. It's crisp. It's not overly dry. It has a light golden hue to it. 
um, compared to the other cuvées, whether it's a reserve or the premier cru, and we'll, we can do this later, you'll see that the um, Blanc de Blanc is the lightest of all shades. But you know what? It's it's not. It's it's a nice golden hue. It's it not is. a super light golden hue. It is. It's not. But when, once we compare the ladies, you'll see. Yeah. Uh, our Blanc de Blanc pairs best well with seafood. I'm a big seafood eater. So like clams, oysters, shrimp. I love this with um with a uh, love shrimp cocktail. Love it with shrimp cocktail. Does it go well with any sauce like a uh, um, red sauce or more like a butter cream sauce? It goes well with. Okay. Yes. I would say you have you, to pair to the sauce yeah, also. When you have a cream sauce with seafood, you this need something a little bit heartier. You need to use the rosé. Right. Um. So the color is this beautiful golden. What do you get on the nose? So for me. I have like small hints of like faint pears, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of apricots, but not too much. Very faint. You, you smell it. Yeah. But everybody's nose is a little bit different. It's not, um, it's not bready or biscuity. Mm -mm. Like, um, other, it's, 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 it's right. It's fresh. It's crisp. It's crisp. It's, um, it's got fine little bubbles. It's yes. not this big overly bubble thing. Um, let's. Let's uh, open the mouth and throw it over the tongue and tell me if the palate resembles the nose, like some of those apricots or pears, or what else do you get? You still get the hints of the pears. Mm -hmm. You'll get it more in the front mm -hmm. of your palate. Front and mid. Yeah, going down to the back, it mellows out. You have like a velvety texture in your mouth. It has a nice mouthfeel to it. Um, all right, so just tell me again what that was. That's the that Blanc, was the de... Blanc de Blancs. All right, so we're going to taste, what are we tasting at the end of the show? Um, our Premier Crew. So we're going to taste the Premier Crew, and we'll even do a little side-by-side. -side. Um, we're talking to Marvina Robinson. Marvina is the proprietor of uh, B. Stuyvesant Champagne. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk to Marvina about the actual champagnes, um, the brand, get into it a little, you know, what she's doing in France. Um, so you're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, mm -hmm. incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. You can pop over to the Quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, and so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, and that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these 
thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like, what is rennet? And like, why is this cheese so expensive? And can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts. You're among scholars. You're among cheese lovers. And most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Marvina, Marvina Robinson. Marvina is the Brooklyn Queen of Champagne. I just made that. I like up. that. It's not bad. <laughs> That's gonna, I'm going to get a t-shirt with that. That's not bad. Um, but you're even better than that. Um, <laughs> Marvina has launched uh, her own brand of champagne. And when I, we talked about this off air too. When I came across this story i'm not sure if it was your instagram or one of the stories that covered you you know i delve into it and i said this is just a great story i mean this Thank is you. this is a this is a grape nation story um it's got all the elements of everything i love all right so let's now talk about your beast iverson champagne Yay. um we talked about how you found your partner you know, mm-hmm. this woman, kind of a grower and all of that. Um, how many different producers did you talk to? Oh, talk to? And taste and all of that. And and were you turned away or people didn't get back to you um, or you said no because you didn't like the stuff? I talked to a couple about like probably like 10 to 12. Okay. And, um, some I just felt it wasn't a match based off of um, personality. Right. Like I said earlier, it's like being in a relationship. You got to live with this person. Exactly. Um, so it's about like, you have to mesh with people. Just like when you walk in, like when I walked in here, I see I can mesh with you. You're cool. Okay. You know, Jerry's still out though. Um. <laughs> oh, wait till we get to the picture thing. The jury will be gone. Um. No, don't go there. All right. <laughs> so yeah, it's more about, you know, partnership, which yes. is what you have to live with. Um Tell me about this. So while you're doing this, that's an important thing that's overriding. Mm-hmm. Like I got to work with this. Mostly men, women, split? Mostly men. Okay. Um, when you started walking around to these people, did you have a profile or a style? Did you know that, you know, I want... There are some people that just do Blanc de Blanc. There are some people that just do Meunier. Did you articulate to these people? Um, no. Yes and no. I said my pitch was, and I did not have anything written out. I was like, hey, my name is Marvina. I'm a true, you know, champagne enthusiast, you know, giving them some of my background. Let them know that I do know about the industry. And I was like, I want to create a private label. So obviously I know I want it to be champagne. So it's to come from champagne region. I am looking to produce, well, initially I was like, I'm looking to produce, you know, two signature cuvées. Obviously one is a rosé and then I want to work with a traditional brute. So that sense you had, you wanted yes. to get off out of the shoot with those two at least. Yes, because I felt, again, remember, this was supposed to be the um, house brand of the champagne bar. So remember that part. And that's what I was really focused on because... This started way before COVID. I just launched in COVID because I'm like, I'm not going to sit on this, this inventory. We're just going to deal with it. So we started with that. And I wasn't interested in the Blanc de Blanc at first. And I was like, I just want a traditional brew. I want a rosé because, you know, those are the two most common. 
that I thought was common at the time. So right. let's say that. Right. Because now I'm more experienced, more in-depth. Um, I'm all over the place with my palate. Fun fact about me is I don't bring B. Stuyvesant home. What does I that have, mean? I, I try different champagnes almost every week. Again, not to sound like an AA, but I like to keep my palate fresh. I like to be an SME when it comes. So you're tasting everything to get inspiration, see what people are doing. Inspiration, how it works. and then when people come to me for suggestions or recommendations, because I feel like now I feel like I want go to go beyond be, to your be house SME. too. Yeah. Yes, I want to be an SME. Yeah. I am an SME of champagne, so I want to be able to give great recommendations. And I don't want to always recommend these styles. Like we could do a tasting with Blanc de Blancs, and I can give you four different right. Blanc de Blancs that I want to taste along with these styles, so you can see how. Side by side, what the different tastes like. Because, again, every house has their own recipe. Right. right? So you want to begin to see what meshes with your palate. So stop there for a second. You talked about opening a champagne bar. Mm-hmm. That's done. You now have an office with an event and tasting space. I didn't space. say it was done. Okay. I didn't say it was okay, done. Okay, so that could happen. But you do have that a... That is going to happen. Okay, so mm-hmm. I love hearing that. And you do have a space where you can, you know, highlight tastings and events yes. at the office. Yeah, we have a... So for now, you you know, you could do all of that. Yeah, so we have a 2,000 square foot tasting room. That's our headquarters and tasting room combined. So our space is really functional. Um I'm glad but if I'm a corporate guy, can I do like a thing there? Yep. You know, like a morale builder, a tasting, a we little party, that. all that stuff. We do, you could all, do? we do all of that. We've housed different corporate events. We've housed more intimate um, tastings. We've even bring in a chef and we have an intimate oh, nice. full dinner with um, each meat, each um, course paired with the champagne and the chef cooks on premises. Nice. Um, so there's that. And stay tuned for... Um, Maybe a champagne bar. All right. So the champagne, we've said this five times, but champagne can't be champagne unless it's produced in champagne. That's why Marvina kept going back and forth. And you don't even talk about it while you were working. I mean, you literally left like on a Friday or Saturday morning and came back Sunday so it wouldn't interfere. I actually would leave on a Friday evening. I would catch the express bus from Vanderbilt and 46th Street across from Grand Central. I would catch that four o'clock bus. To the airport? To the airport. I would catch the 640 flight. You should fly Delta, get me in at like six something in the morning. I uh, At that time, I wouldn't check any baggage, so I wouldn't waste any time to get right. to my hotel, get to my hotel, early check-in, Hit shower change, get something to eat, get over to Guardiola's, and I would take the train out to the region. And then I would do the same thing again. And I would get in Monday morning. And before I would jo- I joined Equinox just for the fact so I can shower. Right, they have right the before, best locker right, room. Yes, right yeah. there. And then my office was right across the street. So you were hustling your butt off. I was hustling. All right. So you made these trips to Champagne. You wound up in Epernay, which is a region of Champagne, specifically in the Marne Marne Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where that woman producer is. Yes, the family. Uh, yes, but she. Let's it up. talk about. What's there? I mean, my understanding is they have different plots, six different plots. Mm-hmm. Does that offer you different exposures, soils? Yeah. So you think so for us, we produce mainly with um, Chardonnay, um, the three champagne Mounier blending grapes, and Pinot Noir, and that's where the val- the the plots go across, right? For for but that valley is really known for Pinot Meunier, too. 
depending on what side of the valley, because also okay. remember, the soil. Okay, depending so you on... have your exposure and access yes. to the three great grapes. Exactly. And like yes. we just drank the Blanc de Blanc. Yes, and we Chardonnay. have access also to like a premier crew plot as well. So yes, we have access to all. Was that one of the attractions of why this would be a good partner? No. Of the... no, I wasn't even thinking about that. Because remember, when I first started, I wasn't really... It expanded. was a match with the right yeah, person. Yeah, I just you could wanted two with. cuvées. For but my... isn't that fortuitous? It worked out that way. That's exactly because okay. I didn't want. I wasn't thinking about having a blanc de blanc, a premier crew to the level we are today. I was more interested in, hey, I want to be able to produce these. I want different size bottles for these two cuvées, and the brand expanded. You know, even though COVID was a monster, it came as a blessing to me because it kind of, excuse me, giving me insight on how my business transformed to where it's at today. It gave you that pause or something. Yeah, because I have to, even though we may want A, circumstances say, nah, you're going to get G. And G is what's working for me. G opened my mindset to see what I need to do. It forced me to pivot. And that's what's important. As an entrepreneur, you have to be able to pivot under circumstances. You can't just say, hey, I'm stuck with A, B, and C. If I would have went off of my business plan, I would have deviated already or the business plan would have been null and void i listen i think that's what it's all about um what i'm curious about and it shouldn't sound like a mean question or whatever but isn't it obvious how little you knew going in compared to what you knew now know now and what was available Oh, you know, I'm... as far as grapes, blending, regions, soils. I mean, you're good at that now. That first pass. I was, uh, I thought I knew a lot going in. Right, because you said you read and educated. And but embedded. now, like for me, I'm very hands-on. I do visit the region a lot. Like, I love my vineyard. It's great. I also visit other vineyards because I just like to know different things. And it's just so enlightening about the whole champagne industry. And sometimes people think that you get so much from a reading knowledge. You don't get the true experience. Right. You have to immerse you yourself in the culture, be there and understanding what goes on. Because just like when there was like global, global warming affects the actual crops, you know? So guess what? Harvest season varies. Planting, picking. Exactly. All that. Have to, if there's ripening. frost. You know, within the, in the which crops. has been an issue. In yes, the you gotta year. manually heat it up. So, yep. and that also goes behind to the cost of champagne. Like all of these adds up. Why champagne is more expensive than a prosecco or anything else for, related to sparkling? It's a very manual, intense wine to create. So, the hint, the price point behind it. Yeah, we're not going to get into how it's made, but it is very, the riddling, yes. you know, the second fermentation, you know, blowing the frozen cap out. It, it's crazy, you mm -hmm. know, what's going on there. Um, all right, so let's talk about the different bottlings. You make six or seven different champagnes, more or less. We have a portfolio of eight right now. Okay. And we have three Are more. eight available all the time or that depends? No, so there's... Two limited editions, which is our uh, heritage, which everybody has been asking for to come back. And it's coming. So that was limited in the bottle. Why did you limit it? Because um, <coughs> I didn't. You want to know honestly why? Because yeah, it goes that's why to, I asked. <laughs> it goes to financing, you know, like, do I want to put everything here to produce year round? I got it. So you for me, pick your spots. I take heritage and our prestige rosé. Are our limited edition bottles. 
What's limited to you? Like, are you making a couple hundred cases? Less, so, more? no. Um, we produce our prestige, Roger, we max out at 800 a year versus all the others are like three times that. 800 cases? 800 bottles. Bottles. For oh. the prestige, Roger. So, it's really a small, so limited it's real, run. It's a... Because you think about, for me, we have a portfolio of eight. Everything doesn't, in my opinion, or how I decide, everything doesn't need to be fully year-round. Um, certain people, like we have a, a traditional rosé, which is year-round, a prestige rosé. Is that one of the main um, champagnes in the lineup, that Our rose? traditional rosé, yes. Right. Our prestige rosé, consumers love it. When it's Like right now, we're sold out, and we're sold out earlier than I anticipated. Uh-huh. So... Not for 2024, but going to 2025, we've already increased production for the Prestige Rosé. Okay. And then what's the other? Heritage. Um, it's actually one of our other Baruts. That's actually an 80% Mounier grape and a 20% right. Pinot Noir. That No Chard? No Chardonnay. Wow. And that actually... What's the profile there? Is it rich? Color it's, a little darker? Color is definitely a little darker. It's aged for 36 months. so it's actually, Aged longer? Yeah. Um, Sounds beautiful. Our reserve is compared to our heritage. The heritage just has a different, slightly different tasting profile. Um, 80% for the reserve is also heavy on the Mounier grape, which is why we don't have both of them year-round, so I chose the heritage to be the ones that dip in and dip out. Right. Um, so we didn't actually really produce it for 2022, but for 2023, for the holiday season, it will be back in. Did you always envision um, multiple cuvées so that the line could appeal to a broad taste? Initially, group? no. But when I realized this is the business, <clears throat> I knew yes, because... For a B. Stuyvesant to be an actual champagne company, in my opinion, I want to be able to appeal to numerous palettes, right? Rosé, you want to have, we have reserve as our traditional go-tos. But for example, if you want to get more intricate, we're going to come to the Blanc de Blanc so that we can pair with seafood. We're going to come to our Premier Cruise. We're going to come to our Demisex. Though I'm not a sweet drinker, you still have to have like a Demisex for those who want to enjoy champagne but have a little bit more dosage on it. All of that is what comes into play for that. So I wanted to be able to produce a full portfolio. We have three cuvées waiting to come into the portfolio for 2023-24. And that's where I actually get like my vision on. We also produce different bottle sizes where we produce half bottles, full-size standard bottles, we produce magnums, we produce gyro bombs. So all that's important because all of that comes into play to the different potential clients right. slash consumer, yeah. Right. Um, for a small company, it's a smart move, you know, to appeal to everyone. Um, tell me a couple things about um, farming and winemaking. Your champagne partner owns their property, right? It is a, more like an eight-year generational um, house. So it's been in the family for years. The place you have your champagne? Yes. Okay. Opinion, yes. And the family makes the wine? Yes. So everything is, so it's a grower's, grower's house. The grapes are on, the grapes are on their property. They own a process from front to end. Only time any outside people are boarding is during harvest season okay. where they bring in, um, bring in pickers to come in to help right. pick because you know you only have a short time and there's only one head winemaker in the house which is our um a family member of the house 
and that's it. It's closed circuit year round. It's just... Do you interact as far as oh. direction and style? And um, I mean, you put I... a lot of faith into this person, but you do input. I don't. I. I. We were already discussed our taste and profiles. I, like he's the expert, right? Okay. But what I do like about him is that he talked. We talk in depth. Like we, when I'm there, we sit, we taste, we set what to look for. So that's very important for me. So it's a very hands-on approach. Nice. Um, I try to be as hands-on as possible. I'm not the person where, oh, I'm hands-off. I want to be in the in the crops, in the fields. We need help pushing bottles around. We need help stacking. We need help when we get... So now riddling isn't done by hand. It's done by a major machine now. Right. Let's get that done. Do we need help packing these boxes? Like, I'm all over the place. What about things like sustainability? Um, as far as taking sustainability, you know, as the next step, mm-hmm. I mean, are, are they farming thoughtfully? Oh, 100%. are they farming? Are they winemaking thoughtfully? They're not intervening. So, you know, talk me through that. Everything is a hundred percent. So there's no pesticides used okay. on, on nice. the crops. Um, we talked about, um, going like organic, but that's a whole nother process. We're not ready for that stage yet. You practice a lot of it, but you're not certified or there yet? We're not certified there. So there's no pesticides. There's no animals or anything on there. We're limiting. We don't use any styrofoam on properties. Okay. Uh, So we're just getting better in in that. Is that important to you? It is important to me because it, it, it affects our overall industry and overall liveliness. So all of that is important. Um, I'm a person, I don't eat beef or pork. So I don't want to make sure that certain animals are not included in the process. So one of the things when I first started out, people was like, is this vegan? Is this organic? So I can't officially label it as vegan. I put vegan friendly because to be a vegan product, it has to be registered on right. with, within the states and between U.S. and France. There's different. But is there no vegan? There's no. I mean, it's it's vegan. It's, it's just not. Listen, there are a lot of practitioners that don't have the certification because they can't afford it, or it's yeah. too much of a process, or they don't give a crap. It is a huge process, but there's no animals or anything included in that process. So that's why we label it as vegan friendly. Because legally, you have to be registered through the vegan overall. Right. We haven't gone through that process, so I just withstain that, and I just make sure I put vegan friendly. And I explain very detailed process. Right. Um, you're not in the minority in practicing it that way. Oh, yes, exactly. There are people who practice the right things but don't necessarily get themselves certified. Um, are there any other things you want to add to the lineup? Like, do you... Mm-hmm. We talked about what up to eight different, you know. Uh, so we have three new cuvées coming in. Um, three on top of the eight. Yes, three on top of the eight. Remember, two is still limited edition. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have another one where it's ready. I just have to finish some things on my end. It will probably be a limited edition. Well, it will be one of our top sellers. Um, top sellers. What I like to add on. Um, this past holiday season, the first time we did 187s, though we will not produce 187s year What round, is that, like a split? The split, the most okay. moments. 187s are very expensive to make. So we use it for a holiday, but we're going to do it one more time, um, where for this holiday season, it'll be with the rosé. And um, probably we put did the Blanc de Blanc. We're one of the few houses to have a Blanc de Blanc in a 187 split. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Um that we have some things on the U.S. states where we're in, implementing um, some visuals in our office so that people can 
come in to try something new. Nice. Um, working on some meta items to put us in the 3D world. That probably will take me into 2025 to complete, but we're starting it. So those are little things. I try to be more innovative and create an experience for consumers because sh- champagne is patented. So when people come or consumers come to taste B-Stuyvesant, I want them to get the full experience of B-Stuyvesant, but also introduce them to another concept or something that they haven't been exposed to right. to get a full 360 experience. So to that point, I want you to um, sort of evangelize. I want you to tell people why they shouldn't just drink and perceive champagne as celebratory. Why it's just such a great, you know, you and I call it wine too. Mm -hmm. Why it's just such a great wine beyond what people box it in as. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, sh- well, like to clear up the mythologies, champagne is a wine. It's yeah. just a type of wine, right? Yeah, it's made with wine. Exactly, right? It starts off as a still process, and then you ha- during the second fermentation comes into the sparkling aspect. So, and I agree with you 100%. Champagne is just not meant for celebratory. Champagne can be enjoyed with every portion of your meal, whether you're starting with an appetizer, a salad, full entree, so it's, dinner. So it's uber food friendly. It's uber food That's friendly. That's number one. It's uber food friendly. I think people get confused with the bubbles or say, oh, it's going to give me a headache. Sometimes it just might be psychological or maybe you didn't find the right um, champagne for you or right. for your body or style. Dessard, which is sugar, plays a part and role of it. You know, it, we ha- you have different... You have a brute, then you have an extra brute. Right, extra, you can buy ones that yeah, you just have, have to, a higher sugar if you like sweet, or if not, lower. A less one. You just have to find different cuvées that work for you. And sometimes it's more about reading the actual tasting profiles, but also remember everybody's palate is unique and different. Or you can start off with one house and maybe go through their portfolio from the different selections they have and then see what you like from there. And then from there... Say, hey, I like this one. So when you go out to shop different champagnes, these, these are the tasting profile I like. What can you recommend for me? Bingo. If you know what you want and you can articulate it mm-hmm. and you have a good like wine shop where the guy curates, guy mm-hmm. or woman, then, oh, man, look at this wall. Exactly. You, know, you want sweeter, less sweeter and all that. Um, yeah. I think people, I, t- I tell this over and over on the show. I've been collecting wine for years. So all my friends defer to me when we go out. Oh, I, nice. I won't let them bring wine because I don't want to drink crappy wine. <laughs> so I always used to bring a white and a red. Mm-hmm. Now, basically, I bring a champagne and a red. And people go, why'd you bring champagne? Because. And then at the end, they're like, this is awesome. Now champagne have, is always the answer for everything. Now I have friends that, you know, they do the same thing. Um, I've asked this question before, too. Best temperature, best glasses. Tulip-shaped glasses. Tulip, not flutes? No, flutes is Spanx for champagne. Yes. You because, want more of a open yeah, explain. you need to open it. You need, Why? You need your wines open because bubbles actually have a tasting profile in them. It has aroma, taste. So you want the wine to open up fully. With the um, flutes, it's going to be very slender. So you need it to open up a little bit and then tape over the top so it doesn't get flat or go cold too fast. 
average is 45 to 47 degrees is the best temperature so that's, for Chopin. That's coolish. Yes. 45. So you're more on the coolish part. Yes. I don't mind, you know, room temperature because I think the 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 um, flavors come out, but that's not a popular thing. Well, guess people will say, "Oh, this is warm." What happens is, so for me, I love my first set to be crisp, but I'm not gulping. So as soon as you open up the bottle or pour it out, it's automatically going to heat up. So by the time, like if I'm talking and, and sipping, sometimes 15 minutes, it might be too hot for me. So that's why I go a little bit cooler, because as soon as you open up, it's going to automatically warm up. I like that. Um, so please, people, get that old champagne flute notion right. out of your head. Or drink out of a uh, traditional white wine glass. Yeah, which is fine, you know. All right, we do a thing called the wine list mm -hmm. where I ask my guests five questions. Uh-oh. Same five questions to everyone. I should have listened to a show before. You should have. Um, be spontaneous. Mm -hmm. And answer them best as you can. Okay. First question, what are you drinking now? In my house. What's in your fridge? Uh, in my fridge is nothing but water. Water and a bottle of sparkling water. Now, what's in my wine fridge? Yeah, but you said you're tasting other champagnes. Oh, yes. I have... Um, ooh, we. But are you tasting... You, you kind of talk through that. Are you tasting other things? Yeah, I'm tasting a lot. Are like, there wines, just, beers? No, so I don't... Oh, so here's a fun fact. I don't drink liquor, period. I do not drink beer. I, I, it's very rare you catch me with a still wine. So I have, in my wine fridge, I have 98% uh, champagne. I probably have two or three still wines. I have this bottle of wine, red wine. It's valued at like $600. It was a gift. What is I, it? I don't know. I don't okay. drink. It's a red wine um, from Burgundy. I, it's so just, you're, it, you're a champagne drinker. Yeah, so I have it out of respect. Um, two bottles that were given to me. One I purchased a mile back where I'm trying to get into, but I haven't mastered it yet. It's a and big then, wine, a mile back. It is. So I... Go from champagne to Malbec. It's like, woo. I have to take my time with that. Um, I have a lot. So I have my go-to favorites. Mark Habar is one of my favorites. H-E-B-R-A-R-T? -E yes, yes, okay. yes. So that's um, one of your faves. Give one me one my, or two more. Billy Cott's one of my favorites. Okay. Um, I have a, another favorite brand, but I cannot remember the brand. I just went blank. But I also like... Uh, Louis Water, but the Premier Crew, not the two four two or the two four three. Those are all in my. Those fridge. are relatively new, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah, and then I had another brand <laughs> last night. I think it's those Go, are good ones. Gonets. I just uh, Pierre Gonet. Yes. G, G O N E T. Yes, yes, yes. I was actually googling it this morning because I wanted good to get. Very grower producer. I was trying to find some other bottles. All right, so I didn't mention this, but we post your answers because people love to hear okay. you know what you're drinking. Second, and then I got B. Styrson, of course. Of course. Well, we know that. <laughs> Second question, favorite wine and food pairing. You, oh, What you like. Oh, Not what's perfect. No, 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 no. I already know what I like. I love a charbroiled oyster. Okay. And give me a Blanc de Blanc. Like on a grill On a grill, yes. I just came back from Charleston Full of Wine. Do you put anything on the uh, oyster? Um, whatever. I don't, I don't cook it myself. I've had it. And sometimes there's different bread stuffings. Okay. Different, oh, whatever it is. But a grilled oyster with char blanc de blanc. Char grilled. Yes. It has to be char grilled. I don't want anything with no gas grills. Char grilled. Right, right, right. You get, you pick up a little of that yeah, smoke. Yeah, so that's a smoking mistake. All right. We have three more questions, but we're going to deviate for a moment. The deviation is if we can knock it out quickly, five of the best or greatest foods to eat with champagne. 
Fried chicken. So that's one of my faves. Mm-hmm. One. Fried chicken, French fries. Two. Um, what else I love? Anything. I love a pasta truffle. Pasta with truffle. Yes. And then naturally pizza goes well. Pizza's awesome. Um, what's Give me one? one more. Give shrimp me Shrimp cocktail. Shrimp cocktail, yes. like you said. Mm-hmm. With not a red sauce. No, shrimp cocktail. Shrimp cocktail just straight. The shrimp cocktail with the sauce, lemons. With the, if it's a pasta dish with a truffle, if it's heavy cream, you got to go with the rosé with it. There you go. All right. <clears throat> Favorite wine restaurant and or bar? You, we might as well stay local, Brooklyn, New York City, or you know any place that impresses you. And let's focus towards champagne. You walk into a place, they have a list. We talked about how important by the glasses, the vibe of a place, the people that are knowledgeable, the list. Who, um, who's doing that? So I have, um, wait, there's two places I like. Two is one I remember, but let me get it right. So take a swig. Let me. If take you a describe the one you don't know, I could probably guess. No, it. one is actually not in New York, but I still have to give it its props because I enjoy myself. Is it in France or? No, it's actually in. Um, it's actually in Charleston, South Carolina. I just came back from there. So Raft. No, Tippling House. There it is. So Graf and Tippling House, they both have excellent um, options for champagne. So I went to Tippling House. We, on our first night of the overnight of Charleston, they had the Rosé Marcabra, and I was just drawn to it. So that's Matthew Conway, who is a New York GM and sommelier. Yes. Big champagne fan, Mm -hmm. big Rhone fan. Went down there during COVID, never left, and opened his dream wine bar. And it's amazing. Femio and has graft yes, open before Matthew. Femi, yes. And stuff on the wall. You mm-hmm. buy it and just pay a little uptick and drink it at the bar. Yep. Great. We paid a, We were there. We like Great champagne. Yeah. Life. Femi and I, we met last year in 2022. Then Matthew in 2022. So last year I didn't go to Tipling. This year I did. And we had an amazing, amazing night. So those are my first two. Here in New York... Those are great ones. Yeah, here in New York. So there's not a lot of restaurant bars that actually have... like Or champagne. bar bars or... So it's a restaurant, Evelina's, which is actually on DeKalb Avenue. Wow, that's a new one. Yeah. See, that's why I do this. I like... Evelina's. E-V-E-L-I-N-A-S. Yeah, I hope that's the right On DeKalb? I'll fact check that. Yeah. What's good about it? Um, they have a good sparkling option. Okay. They have a good... Beyond champagne? Sparklers? So are... they have a good Prosecco on their menu, but they also have Billy Cart. Ah, you on love their... that. Billy Cart Brew on their menu. So those are the two I like. Um, those are good. Who else do I normally go around to? So for me, it really depends on your menu. So I'm picky when I go out because I like to make sure if I'm out, the rare times I come out, that there's something for me to drink on the menu. So I look at the actual menus, or if they have a corkish fee, I'll pay the corkish fee to bring a bottle. Great. Um, All right. That's our uh, third question. Fourth question is favorite all-time wine. When I originally structured the question, I wanted to find out the rarest, most expensive wine Marvina drank in her, you know, travels. I don't care about that anymore. Okay. What I care about is... What's that wine, and it's probably a champagne, that had the biggest effect on you? Was a gateway, opened up, uh-huh. you know, the way you think about it, affected, you know, just how you move forward, you know, had that impact on you? What's that? It could be one or two. What's the brand, or what's the effect for me, or what's the... What, what, what's, what's the wine? Who was it? And what then we'll talk about... What is it for me? Um... 
Like people say, you know, I had a burgundy because I never had burgundy. Well, one is a life. champagne, number one. Okay. Do you remember which? When? Um, one, I. it's a story behind this one. So I was, <laughs> I just discovered the champagne last year. I was driving, coming in from Jersey, and for whatever reason, my car, her name is Wilma, had an issue or had an attitude, and <laughs> she broke down, right? <laughs> for some reason, so I was stuck on the side of the turnpike. I pulled into the gas station. So I called a tow truck, and I'm like, all right, well, let me just walk around. So there's a wine shop. It's a liquor store over there. So I walked in there, and I went, and I said, let me just get some bottles. So I went and bought this half a bottle of champagne. And I went back to my car, put my key in, and the car started right away. Ah. So I'm like, what in the hooting nanny? So then I um, I go home, and I waited a week to drink this champagne. And when I tasted it, I was like, holy Bleep, 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 bleep. It was so good. What was it? I cannot. That's the one I was drawing the blank on. I think I have it in my phone. Right, so if you don't answer it now, you and I will talk off air and yeah. I, I will post it. Um, but if the car didn't start, were you going to crack that? <laughs> and drink it sitting in the car? You don't know? It's kind of not legal. I had uh, I had a cold one and I had a hot one. So okay. I was going to like... All right, so that's a good... I think Wilma broke down because she wanted me to figure out the champagne. And then here's well, a... she steered you to champagne. Yeah. So then the fun fact is when I went back to France, I went to find the champagne there. I visited their vineyard and I learned about it. And then I would say this one, Canard Duchesne 2014 Vintage. Definitely. Wait, wait, we got to spell this out. C-A-N-A-R-D, canard? Yeah, canard. Du, de, D-U? D-U-C-H-E-N-E, 2014 okay. vintage. Duchesne. Yes. Duchesne. And Duchesne. what is that? They're vintage. It was amazing. So I visited, I did a- Wait, ma- is that champagne? It's champagne, okay. yeah. So that, I, I did a master champagne class with him, oh my gosh, probably in 2014. They came to New York, and that's when I was opening the champagne bar, and they invited me, and they, like- Oh, now this is an experience that opened my eyes because we went through his whole portfolio. It was just beautiful and nice. It was amazing. And then I had they invited me to their venue when I got to France. I went there one on one tour, tour their whole property, and then that's when I learned how to separate uh, um, actual bottle. Did you get it on the first strike? Uh, no, I got it on the second strike. Okay, that's pretty um, good. But now I get it on the first strike. Um, and we went through the tastings, and I fell in love with the 2014 Vintage. And I just went back there just this, well, last year, late So year. that's memorable to you. Very memorable. Very that, memorable. That's, that's the answer to the question. Yeah. Um, so we'll post those two. Final question, and I ask everyone this, and this may be the toughest. Uh-oh. I'm looking for you to recommend the best wines around 15 20 22 bucks. Um, I'm looking for a red and a white. Um if you want to stay within the sparkling world, you could throw in sparklers. It's funny how there's some great sparklers in that price range, and people very rarely answer that question with that. Um, there is a really good um, Prosecco. It's probably one of the... So t- let's start with Prosecco. It's the top of the line, and I know the bottle is probably about 15 So I am going to Google this. All right, so that's that's white. Yes. If you had to give me, oh, a little... you know what's a red sparkler? A uh, bed vine sparkling Lambrusco. I love it. Bed vine. Bed vine is actually a store. 
um, in Bed-Stuy? In Bed-Stuy on Tompkins. It's, they have a housemaid? They have a housemaid. Um, Bedvine Lambrusco. Yeah. So I'm going to go two ways with that. I love the fact that you recommended that. I love the fact that a local guy's making it. But I love Lambrusco as a great value red. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as a sparkler. It's good. <clears throat> and it's very rare that I drink, um, drink something outside of that. So Kaferlin, C-A-F-U-R-L-E-N, is... One of the, my, Pro, that's the Prosecco? Yeah, that's the Prosecco. And it's only $12. Man, you nailed it on that. Okay, so it's two words, Ka for Len. I got it. I'm going to post that, like I said. All right, so that is Marvina's uh, wine list. Five questions, great answers. Knocked it out of the park. My compliments to you. Mm-hmm. For somebody who didn't listen to the feature in advance. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We, That's the good thing. So this I is, love that. It's more spontaneous. So you know, it puts you on the edge of your seat. So here's one. I don't fully prepare for interviews because I feel like I just speak my truth because that's all it is. I'm just living my truth. So the story about you is the story. Exactly. And it's you. Yes. So however, you may do a similar interview and other things may come up mm-hmm. or you may add a perspective. That's great. But it's always going to point to the same thing. Exactly. Your passion, how you got there, all that Everybody stuff. has a different perspective. Right, we end the show every week with a feature called the weekly wine sip perfect mm-hmm. opportunity for a winemaker to bring in their wine and talk about it we actually did a sneak peek of it by tasting the uh, blanc de blanc mm-hmm. so this week we're gonna taste what and then tell me a little about it we're gonna taste the premier crew come on let's get it going premier crew is a little bit opposite of the blanc de blancs okay what's and- the blend so it's a traditional blend of all three grapes. So okay. it's on Pinot Noir, Chardonnay. Do you know the Mugier. percentage? Yeah. So it's actually, oops. All right. Don't okay, worry. cool. So it's actually 50% um, Pinot Noir, 40% Pinot. Um, Mounier? No, Chardonnay, and then 10%. Oh, it's a fairly uh, traditional blend. Be careful. Oops. This chair's so low. I know, and they have arms. Now, what I love about. The um, what I love about the Premier Cru, like my favorite apple is Granny Smith apples. So you definitely get a tasting and an aroma of Granny Smith. You apples. could differentiate of all apples, Granny Smith, and it's in here. Yes. On the nose and the palate. Nose and the palate. All right, so let's do the standard thing. Color. This is oh little... wait, so I have Blanc de Blanc in my glass. Do you see the difference in the colors? Yeah, this is uh, deeper, deeper and maybe, I wouldn't say orange, but no. there's a hue to it. Yes. This is you know, a little golden. deep. Yeah, it's a deeper golden. All right, so that's the color. Um, give me your nose descriptors. What happened? Uh, this is still Blanc de Blanc. Just dump it in there. I actually drank my other one, so it was empty. <laughs> I should have brought two glasses. My bad. Do a rinse. I just put the champagne in there. So there you go. Okay, so this is. So I can tell you off the fact that I'm already gonna smell. So what do you get on the palate? I mean, on the nose. Definitely Granny Smith apples. You okay. have something uh, a hint smell of honey, but when you do your tasting, you're gonna have Granny Smith in the front, and you're gonna have pear and honey more in the back, and it's gonna suck you in off. Mouthfeel is rich. Yes, and it's it's a rich. You it's know. more in depth, so it has more complexity to it than the um, Blanc de Blanc. Um, on the palate, unlike the other one, 
I do pick up that biscuity. Yes. You know, it's it's non-existent in the other one, mm-hmm. which is refreshing and fresh. And that's why this is, this age, is the block somewhat block, classic. The block that block is aged 24 months. This is actually aged 48 months. So that gives it that character too. Mm-hmm. 48 months, Jesus. All right, so palette. What do you get on the palette? And again, does it replicate the uh, nose? It semi-replicates the nose. So you, Anything not in the palette or new to the palette? So... For me, so I've had this 50 million times. So I always want to taste it again, but I already know, like, label-wise. But, like, I still get hints of the apple. Finish with apple. I get hints of honey. Yeah. The honey's not cloying, though. It's just kind of lays on top. You have a mixed in with pears. Mm. And then you have that, you know, biscuity. Tell me food pairings for this. Oh, this one I love um, grilled chicken breasts, um, sauteed in light olive oil. Um, so it could take the grilling. Yes. It could take the or on top oil. Of the stove. Yes, very light. Um, what about barbecue grilling? Barbecue grilling, I go with rose. Okay. I, I will always do rose for grilling. Okay. Good point to make there. Um, so take off to me again exactly what this bottling is. This is our premier crew. Okay, so it's the B. Stuyvesant, B. Stuyvesant Premier, Premier Crew. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right, so we tasted two wines. In addition to the um, wine list answers, I will post um, the wines. Yes. All right, I got to do a quick wrap-up. We've spent way too much time together. You've had too much fun with me. I'll just leave right away. You ain't leaving. It's picture time. <laughs> All right, so if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. Leave a review if you like the podcast. The reason we ask you to subscribe is by subscribing, podcast pops up automatically. You don't have to search for it. You're reminded. There's Marvina sitting right there ready to talk to you. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby, on Twitter at BenRuby. I know a little confusing, but you can reach us on both with the hashtag TheGreatNation. Um, on Facebook, we are the Great Nation. Um, as I mentioned, we'll post Marvina's wine list answers and weekly wine sip choices selections on our social media. All right, Marvina, now I need some download. Where can we find more information in a general sense on Beast Stuyvesant? Uh, the best place would be our website, which is www.stuyvesantchampagne.com. And if we still... No B? Huh? No B. No B. Okay. Stuyvesantchampagne.com. Um, and if you don't get the question there, we have two links. Either contact us or there's a link that says email us and we revert back all emails within 24 hours. Okay. So that'll get you... You know, I've been on the site a million times. It'll show you bottle shots, descriptions of the wines. It'll talk about, you know, Marvina and everything. Um, if we want to follow you and the brand on social media, where do we go? So Business Divisant <laughs> Champagne is both our Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Myself personally, which I post more about mm-hmm. my personal life, like having fun with my friends, stuff like that, different wines. It's Marvina underscore Robinson. Okay. 
And Twitter, to be honest, I do not remember. We are not as active on Twitter. So um, Instagram's your wheelhouse. Yes, Instagram and Facebook, yes. For a lot of people and all that. Um, what about distribution? Talk to me about restaurants, stores, um, you know, really the, the net of reach. You know, are we out of state yet? Or oh, yeah. We're give me a little intel on we're that. We're definitely on the West Coast. Okay. Um, we just landed a major, we just got onboarding to, we're onboarding to a major uh, restaurant, Having Mar by Mark. Uh, um, Marcus Samuelson. Yeah, Marcus Samuelson. So they're picking our Blanc de Blancs. Um, we have a host of stores in the Brooklyn area, New York. Um, let me see if I can remember them offhand. Uh, Happy Cork, Bed Vine, Green Grape, um, Harlem Wine Gallery, Venetaria restaurants. So you're locally fairly well distributed yeah. and working on more and more and more. Yeah, working on more and we're focusing on onboarding in the DMV area. So okay. that's up that's up next. We were in a hotel before where we're changing distributors, so now we're relaunching, which I'm focused on when I'm down there next week. So the good news is you're gonna see more. The good news is also like we ship to 48 states, so we have an e-commerce store. So on the website, yep. if you want to buy, I mean, that's the easiest app yeah, for anybody. Yeah, you go to our shop tab. I was just wondering how many states and, you know, liquors oh, cough yeah, online, can... but you're you're pretty well covered. Yes. What are the two states that you can't? Uh, Hawaii and I think it's Wyoming. Okay. You do Alaska? We do Alaska. Alaska has uh, express shipping, though. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you got all the intel. Um, we've tasted through the wines. I highly recommend them. Um, I uh, praise and admire what you're doing there. Thank you. It's wonderful, and I only wish you continued success. I want to thank our guest, Marvina Robinson. Marvina is Beast Iverson Champagne. Thank you to our engineer, Armin, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.